0: Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio.
1: And good morning from the sous chef of the garden, Frank Proctor, as we are joined now from her home in beautiful Prince Edward County. There's Charlie Dobbin. Good morning, Charlie.
2: Good morning, Frankie. How are you? Hey,
1: okay. Thank you very much. Got a good looking day out there.
2: I know. Boy, you know what I'm doing today. A little yeah. gardening, I would say. uh Just a little <laughs> lawn repair. It's a, it's a big yeah. lawn, and there's some repair required still. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's good. We, we've got, uh, oh, I better give out the phone numbers here, although sure. at, the, at the moment we've got a full slate uh, oh. showing up. But if you're uh, interested in asking a question of Charlie, who undoubtedly will help you out, here's the number in the Toronto area to call Charlie Dalvin, 416 anywhere in the province toll-free. 744 seven forty four seven forty. A wee reminder that our mantra is: call early, call often, one question per call. And <laughs> um, if you are a first-time caller, please let uh, Carlos, our operator, know. He'll let me know. And just before you get the airways, there you go. You're gonna get your garden wings. There okay. you go. All set up.
2: Good. oh uh, thank you. Well done. Well, you're you're sharp today. Oh, you right
1: watch? on the bit. I tell you. <laughs>
2: So a couple of upcoming meetings that people have been telling me about. I've got two for this Tuesday, April 27th. Okay. One is the Hamilton and Burlington Rose Society. Mm-hmm. They have meetings by Zoom, of course, as is everybody doing these days. Uh, at seven o'clock, they've got Anna Leggett, and her topic is clematis or clematis, a perfect companion for roses. So to get onto that Zoom call, uh, email. H.B. Rose Society, that's one word, H.B. Rose Society at simpatico.ca, and um, and also the Alliston Garden Club. Now, they are in um, uh, a mode of really trying to expand their club, so they've got a, a draw. If you join their club, it's only $15 for an entire year for individuals and $20 for a family membership, and they've got a $50 gift card at a local nursery for all new members that will be drawn. So totally worth checking them out. They've got a lot of meetings going on. One this Tuesday. uh, Speaker is Christine March. She's a master gardener. She's going to be talking about daylilies. So, yeah, a lot going on there. And you know what? I'm booked this week. I've got – I'm actually speaking to the Burlington CARP group. So CARP is affiliated with us at Zoomer Media um, on Thursday – I'm doing a, a Zoom uh, event with Carp out of Burlington. Uh, my topic is gardening as we age. And then on Wednesday, the day before that, I've got I'm speaking on behalf of a large condo corporation in downtown Toronto, and it's all in honor of Earth Week. Because remember, it's Earth Week, and they've booked me to to you know share with their the people who live in these condos gardening on their on their balconies and that sort of thing penthouse places Uh, so yeah everybody's excited they're all booking in for that so yeah, it's, uh, spring is definitely in the air. You've
1: got to it. Oh, <laughs> lucky those folks having you to be the guest speaker. My gosh. Yeah, thank you. Maybe, you know, with, with the thoughts of uh, garden clubs and uh, so forth, uh, listening into the show, and you've got meetings that you've got coming up where you'd like yeah. others to know about, by all means, mm-hmm. uh, maybe give uh, Charlie the heads up on that stuff by sending her a little email at c.dobbin that's d-o-b-b-i-n at mzmedia dot com. And I see We've reached our our limit here for our first segment, Charlie. Oh, my. Well, we have, as I indicated, a a packed house on the phone lines. So we'll get to say hi to Bob and others coming up shortly here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio.
0: Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin.
1: Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, I think we're in for a busy show today. As a matter of fact, I know it. Uh, From Don Mills, let's welcome Bob
3: to the line here. Good morning, Bob. Welcome to the show. Hi, Frank, and hi, Charlie. Thank you for having me.
2: Yeah, Uh, what's going on?
3: Well, it seems like Charlie and I and my wife were, were all doing the lawn today and a few <laughs> a few years ago uh Charlie we we had a problem with crab grass and we called mm-hmm. you up and you said put on corn gluten mm-hmm. and it will get rid of the crabgrass that won't, won't uh, poke out seed and it, it's worked wonderfully. So this okay. year, as, as per your advice, uh, back then we, uh, when the forsythia came along, we yeah. around April 1st, we put on the corn gluten
1: mm-hmm.
3: and, and today we're going to be wandering out on the lawn. Unfortunately, there seems to be some patches on our lawn that are less than, than ideal. So mm-hmm. my question is how long after applying corn gluten Can you overseed?
2: Well, in order for those seeds to germinate, because as you know, that's the thing that corn gluten does, it uh, inhibits seed germination. So it's going to be partially dependent on the amount of precipitation we've had because you you need to kind of neutralize that corn gluten. Um, Generally, though, we say five to six weeks. Wonderful. So you put it on about three weeks ago. So what you should be doing now is top dressing. So that's that nice triple mix or lawn top dressing. All after you've done a hard raking on the lawn, which I assume you did with a fan rake. Now it's it's uh, with a with a flat rake and some good fresh soil, filling in all those gaps, getting it as level as you can, and then you'll have to. What I'm actually doing, I'm doing. Just like you, the top dressing, I'm also using a starter fertilizer, and then I'm seeding sort of all at the same time. And I keep trying to do this just before it rains. So I'm doing my my lawn in quadrants, and uh, we don't have any rain really forecast here until about Wednesday, so I'm hoping I'll get a lot done between now and then.
3: Well, thank you for that, and thank you both for being there. You're doing a wonderful job keeping the gardening community together, and our lawns look fabulous. <laughs> That's
2: great, Bob. Good thank you, you very thank much.
3: You. Bye-bye for that. Boy, we should pay you for that uh,
1: testimony. I know.
2: There. <laughs> yeah, oh, him doing and, commercials
1: for uh, us. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I'm looking at an email that was kind of left over from last week with a secondary question. Mm. This is for Alicia in Buffalo. She says, I have covered my gardenia bush and watered it when possible. When should I uncover it? Uh, Thanks so much for your help.
2: Okay. Now, she was writing this about three weeks ago. These emails have been kind of piling up. Hopefully, Alicia has uncovered her gardenia now uh, because it has been warm. It's certainly been uh, warmer in Buffalo than it has been here. I'm not sure where she overwintered the gardenia. I'm hoping that it was in at least a an unheated you know, garage or shed, because it wouldn't have survived outside in any winter in Buffalo or Toronto. Um, but yeah, and then she asks, asks about fertilizing it with mere acid. And yes, mere acid is a, a very classic sort of a, a fertilizer, and it is designed for acid-loving plants, so plants at like a low pH. So definitely, yes, follow the instructions, assuming that plant is alive. Uh, get, it, get it fertilized. We are in spring. It is time to fertilize all our plants. Outdoors, indoors, everybody's bursting with growth, and now's the time to support that growth with the right fertilizer.
1: Good stuff. Okay, let's go back to the phone lines here and say hi to Judy calling in from Stratford. Good morning, Judy. this morning. Great, thank you.
4: Good morning. Um, I'm I'm having an issue here. I planted marigold seeds, mm-hmm. and they were doing beautifully. I did a whole flat of them. They were mm-hmm. nice and green. They were getting the heads on, so I was pinching them out mm-hmm. so they'd spread. And all at once, they started turning kind of a white color, and oh. they're kind of drying up. So I've transplanted them out of that dirt. I don't know if it, the dirt came from a greenhouse.
2: Okay, the so, uh, so the, when you say the dirt, so the soil, it was a bagged soil, I assume. Yeah, like I got the it potting. down at a
4: greenhouse. It's what they use to to yeah. use their stuff. Um, when you say white, that makes
2: me think of uh, fungal issues. Okay. And that's the one thing that can happen, particularly with our seeds, when we pack them in to a flat. Okay. Uh, insufficient air circulation can lead to fungal problems. They were sick. Um, Yeah, so uh, transplanting them is a good idea, getting them separated into separate pots, get lots of sun on them, even turn a fan on them if you wish, just get that air circulating, be very careful with your watering, so you say they're they're kind of drying up, hopefully you can uh, save them. Um, Obviously, you don't want to have them soaking wet. You want to water them thoroughly, and then drain away any excess water that might be in the tray below, and uh, and get like I say, lots of sun. Some air circulation should uh, solve your problem.
4: I've been spraying them with soap and water. Will that help?
2: No. Oh, stop. Stop soap and water. Soap is really good for controlling insects, but not good for fungal. It actually supports fungal diseases. So don't don't spray soap and water.
4: I was doing it every other day. Okay. Okay. So should I put them outside like today when it's sunny? Yeah, you could, but don't put them in right in the sun from no, inside. No, no, okay.
2: Yeah, okay. but do, sure, get them outside. Get the, they'll love that fresh air and that little bit of breeze, but put them in a sheltered spot, okay. no direct sunlight, no, not right out in, in the extreme wind. But that, that is a process we call hardening off. That's that yes. introducing our little, our little tender plants to the big bad world.
4: Okay, thank you so much. Mr. Graff, thanks for calling. Thanks
1: thanks for calling. Judy, um, in order to leave a little bit of time here for a special guest we've got lined up, uh, <laughs> Ian Simpson, uh, who's going to come by with uh, Earth Day in mind, and uh, some very interesting information about uh, making a call when you dig. Okay. Uh, and you've uh, sort of lined all this up, Charlie, so mm-hmm. we'll better take a break here and then come mm-hmm. back and uh, be... Uh, give time to Carlos to conference in Ian Simpson, who will be by with all sorts of interesting stuff for us right here on The Garden Show.
5: Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, Scythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams.
0: You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio.
1: And Charlie, we're going to ask Sandra in Etobicoke and uh, Wilma in Stratford to hang on to those lines. We'll be to you very shortly. But first, Charlie, maybe you can introduce our special guest here.
2: I will for sure. Good morning. Is Ian Simpson on the line? I am. Hi,
1: Charlie.
6: How's it going?
2: Uh, excellent. This is Frank. Hey, Frank, hi. Ian. Hi,
1: Frank. Nice
6: to meet
3: you, Ian. Nice
2: to Ian. meet you. Ian is the the Education, Marketing, and Compliance Director at On One Call. So, okay, what is On One Call, Ian?
6: Yes, so Ontario One Call. So Ontario One Call is the place that everyone in Ontario needs to contact before they dig. Mm -hmm. It's uh, vitally important. Um, We are law as well. And basically, people reach out to Ontario One Call in order to make sure that when you dig, you are safe. <laughs> um, by yeah. reaching out to us, right, they, uh, mm-hmm. people give us a bit of information about the dig that they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do that through our um, online, if you want, or you can call us as well. Mm-hmm. And then we take those details and then we notify Um, all of the utilities and underground infrastructure owners in the area that could be at risk from your dig. And then they send representatives out to show you where it's safe to dig by putting marks on the ground where the infrastructure is and sending you an email with paperwork
1: telling you what those lines actually mean. Wow, pretty Mm darn important stuff there. Well, what's the phone number that folks could call
6: yeah, so uh, you can go to our website, which is OntarioOneCall.ca, and request to locate there. Yeah. Or the phone number, which we are available 24 hours a day, every day of the year, wow. is 1-800-400-2255. Excellent,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, which good. is pretty cool. And, and Ian and I were chatting yesterday, and, and he brought up some really good points, like things I hadn't even thought of. Like, say you're a, you rent a, a house and you know your, your family says, you know, this fence needs some repair, let's put in a fire pit, or let's take a swimming pool, like whatever, everybody has to call, whether it's front yard, backyard, side yard, am I right? Yeah, yeah.
6: It, it's pretty much, uh, anytime you're planning to dig, I mean, um, if you're trying to put in some new patio stones, if you were hiring a contractor to repave your driveway, that mm-hmm. contractor needs to call Ontario One Call, just to make sure everyone's safe. You want to protect your family. You want to protect your household. You want to protect yourself. There are dangerous hazards under the ground, and unfortunately, there are fatalities that happen or major injuries.
1: um, Ian, can you give us a few examples of what could happen, what kind of dangerous Mm -hmm. situations occur when people don't call and they just go ahead and dig? What, What sort of things happen?
6: Yeah, well, I mean, the most dangerous ones uh, that come top of mind are gas lines. If you hit a gas line, I mean, Ooh. you know, you're going to have to call nine one one. you're going to have to evacuate the area, you know, it's an emergency situation. Uh, electricity lines as well, especially if they're high voltage, people get electrocuted.
3: Mm-hmm. But there are a whole
6: series of things under the ground that um, you just don't want to hit including telecommunication lines, yeah. <laughs> water, sewer.
1: Yeah. Now, for making that one call to one eight hundred four hundred two two five five, 400 2255 how long would it be before people could safely uh, get notified, yeah, go ahead and dig? Uh, is there a, a time uh, limit here? Or?
6: Uh, yeah, no, that's a great question. So there are digs that are going to happen with some people where you're not going to need utilities to come out to put the lines down, and then they'll send you an email saying you're all clear to dig, right? So um, that's one, and that could happen very fast. But what we do in Ontario is we notify the utilities, and they have five business days in order to get out there to try their hardest, right, right, all reasonable efforts to mark the grounds for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now, um, as, as everyone is at home and doing lots of outdoor planning and trying to figure out what kind of projects they want to do. We are receiving some of the highest volumes we've ever received at Ontario yeah. One Call. So, yeah. so I was, we, Charlie and I were talking about this yesterday. It's like um, people want to do their projects Ontario One Call. People are starting to be aware of us, which is great because we've been a law for almost a decade now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're reaching out in order to get located so they can dig safe. And it's Coming in in droves right now, which is great because we need people to be safe. But we're just asking people to be patient. If, if for whatever reason, it takes an extra day for the gas company to show up, just be patient um, and uh, uh, just look for your emails because the paperwork comes in through the email.
1: Boy, that's a great, great service. It really is.
2: It, and and it's interesting too. I find that you know the um, the number of calls has as much as doubled. Uh, between this spring and two springs ago, so we've got a lot of homeowners doing a lot of digging <laughs> and a lot of staycationing so it 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 is it's an amazing service and you know what else it's completely free It doesn't cost us a penny uh, and it it just keeps everybody safe
1: okay, could you give that website again uh, you know, I didn't mark it down unfortunately, but yeah, not a problem it's
6: ontario one call dot c
1: a oh just the way yeah. it sounds, okay. Yeah, and, and I mean, more.
6: of course, if you go on Google and you write in, you know, Locates or Ontario One or Ontario One Call, you will find us. Um, we are out there, um, and we're going to help you through the process. So go to our website, click on Request to Locate. You can put in your DIG information any time of the day you want, or you can call our 800 number as well. We're just telling everyone that we are receiving higher-volume calls than we've had in, ever in our history um, and we are open 24 hours a day. So you don't have to do it first thing in the morning. If you are calling us, right, if we're we're not 9 to 5. We're always available. So wow. Ontario One Call. Well. It's free,
1: it's easy, and it's the law.
2: And it's important. You got it. <laughs> but, you know, I, I will just share my experience with this because when I moved to my current home, I, I'm living in some brand-new home and a brand-new street um, with, you know, everything's brand-new. And, and when I tried to set up that the locate to get all find out where the gas lines and the electrical and all that is it was very hard to do because my house didn't show up on google satellite maps so it's very hard to identify where my house is and where my property is and it did become a number of phone calls but the people i spoke with on the phone were lovely and very very helpful
6: so oh, that's that great to hear yeah. that's great to hear we're here to help you know the thing is mm-hmm. that we just want everyone everyone in the province to be safe Mm-hmm. You just don't want any disasters.
2: Yeah. So, so plan ahead. Don't, don't, uh, don't wait till the day you want to get digging. Plan ahead. Make the call at least a week before you want to start digging, I would say.
6: Yeah, I, I think a week is great. So yeah. if, you're, if you're looking out there, you're saying, you know what, next week or in the next two weeks, I want to do this project, mm-hmm. just uh, reach out to Ontario One Call at OntarioOneCall.ca.
2: Yeah, now if I'm just going to say plant, I guess even just planting a tree, I should call, right? Exactly. Yeah, Um, anything. Anything
6: really. I mean, you know, except for maybe raised flower beds and and things like that, right? Because it's not underground. It's when you're disturbing the ground when you're on the ground level, but trees, bushes, if you have to repair a fence post, like take it out and put a new one in, you want to know. Just because you put a fence post in there before doesn't mean that you nearly missed something. Do so you want to know
1: what's there? Gee whiz, you know I'm so glad that we've got you on the on the air today because uh, Shirley and I have uh, uh, planned to put in a an a, a above ground pool, but we need to flatten out the area where this 24 oh. diameter pool is going to go. Uh, and so now I'm going to call I'm going to call uh, Ontario One Call and have that checked out. My gosh,
6: yeah. yeah. And it's great. So just so you know, I mean, uh, we notify all the public utilities, Mm. right? So you might actually have infrastructure that you own in your backyard as well. So all the public utilities will let you know where it's safe to dig. And then if you own things, like say you have in the past or you bought a house where there's lines going to a garage with a light um, or you have like uh, propane running to a barbecue, those are your lines. So you own them, so you need to know where those are as well. And if you don't know, there are other services out there that can help you locate those. So just always be safe.
1: Ian, thank you so much for wow, investing yeah. with us on the show. It's, it's been really fascinating and Good very stuff. helpful.
2: Yeah, thanks, Ian. Happy Earth Week to you.
1: Yeah, Happy Earth Week to you. And
6: <laughs> if you, anyone has any questions at all, just reach out to Ontario One Call. Um, and Charlie, if you ever want to reach back out to me, you're more than welcome.
2: All righty. Have a great weekend. Don't forget, call before you dig.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. (laughs) Uh, And we're back to the phone lines here, Charlie. Uh, Bless her her heart for hanging in. Uh, Sandra in Etobicoke, uh, about to say good morning to you, Charlie. Hiya, Sandra.
7: Morning, Charlie and Frank. What a beautiful morning. It sure
2: is.
7: Charlie, last year for the first time, I had red elder beetles. And they were just on one plant. I have a a small Mm -hmm. um, miniature rose, and behind it there is prairie mallow, and these beetles were all over the prairie mallow. They were just in this one bed. Is there any way I can control them and stop them from coming back?
2: Um. Not that I know of. They, they're very seasonal. They're very, um, they tend, well, they're probably mating. Like, they come together as a group. Either they've just woken up, or they're just going to bed, or they're mating. Like, they're, they don't generally hang out in herds like that. Um, and, and I'm just, I'm just trying to think were the elder, uh, beetles, or, the, yeah, there's a box yeah, what we're referred to as box elder bugs. Box elder, yes. They were yeah. red with
7: a very distinctive black marking on them. Mm-hmm. Some of them were tiny tiny and there were obviously bigger ones. Yeah. And they were well, just covered all the stems of this prairie mallow. I didn't know if it was going to harm it.
2: No, they, they and the thing is they don't they certainly don't hurt you. They don't bite people, mm-hmm. um, they, you know, I mean, unless they're threatened, they're not going to uh, do anything. So, you know, the problem is if you try squishing them, I'm pretty sure these are the ones they stink. Um, carpet beetles, these kind of uh, inside the house. I, I mm.
7: used um, as insecticidal soap oh, on them, yeah. and that seemed to yeah. kill them. But they, they just kept coming back and back and back.
2: Um. Huh. <laughs> um Well, yeah, so you just found them, like, a little disturbing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I'd be more worried if they were inside the house, but you're right. The soap will work uh, as long as you coat their little bodies with the soap. Mm -hmm. Uh, I imagine that they flew away when you started spraying them, though, didn't they? And then I guess they just came back. There was something about that mallow that they liked. I guess they, they just seemed to stay on
7: it. No, they didn't seem to fly away when I sprayed them.
2: Oh, really? Oh, interesting. So, I mean they're called box elder bugs because they um feed on the juice of ungerminated uh maple keys maple seeds so that, you know how the little helicopters come down out of the maple trees and they land on the ground box elder elder bugs uh drink the juice that's that's in those seeds off usually off the ground and um so there was something about that mallow that was, was very attractive to them. There must have been some, you know, something they were eating, licking.
7: Right, because I have a very large maple tree at the front of the property. Oh, yeah. But the, huh. this is at the back, and there's certainly yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. um, Okay, so so they're not going to harm the plant. It looks like it's starting to grow again.
2: Yeah, they're not going to harm the plant. They're certainly not going to harm you. So I wouldn't be overly concerned. I think that sometimes, like I say, they do become an infestation inside the house. But outside, I wouldn't worry about them at all. Inside, you want to vacuum them up or get rid of them that way. You don't want to squish them. They smell really bad. They're called oh, okay. <laughs> 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 well, thank you so much.
1: You're well thanks for contacting us here at the Garden Show, Zoomer Radio. Um, Oh, I have a note here. Now, this is kind of one of those situations where it's an email that's been held over for at least a couple of weeks. But the fact that Lucia de Faveri is up in Sudbury might have a bearing on your answer here. Uh, second question that she proffered up, is there a preferred way to prepare soil for wildflower planting? She was hoping to plant them along a driveway, and currently there's grass growing in that area. So what help can you be there, Charlie?
2: So, I mean, you're right. Um, Sudbury is probably experiencing the weather we were experiencing about two or three weeks ago mm-hmm. or something like that, um, so that they're always a little bit behind us. So that this is still a timely question for the Sudbury area. So uh, grass growing along the driveway, but she wants to turn it into a wildflower planting. I'll tell you right now, first, got to kill the grass. So there's several ways to do that. One is to suffocate the grass with uh, tarpaulins for four to six weeks or what i've done to also kill grass is cut it as short as you can lay newspaper on top of that short cut grass you know a couple layers of newspaper then water the newspaper and then pile some triple mix uh, manure compost leaves anything you want on top of the newspaper and that will hold the newspaper down and of course you have to feel the edges to make sure that the grass beneath dies down. Once the grass is dead, then we prepare a seed bed. And a seed bed for wildflowers is pretty similar to any seed bed, just like you would do, well, just like Bob and I are gonna be doing, which is the lawn repair. So that's that leveling of the fresh soil um, breaking up the big chunks, making it a, a fine uh, layer of soil that's nice and level and raked smooth, and then distributing your seed on the surface of the soil, like you're, you know, feeding the chickens. And then, of course, reading the package carefully is this seed that needs to be left on the surface, or is this seed that needs to be lightly covered? and you'll follow those directions, and then you'll yeah, preferably do this before rain, and then of course the rain will come and moisten the soil and get those seeds growing, and um, and there you are. But make sure that the soil is good quality, it's you know fairly fertile, it's got lots of organic matter in it, and that will be very, very supportive of the seeds growing, and, and growing for, for many years, so that you don't have to worry about doing a lot of top dressing in the future.
1: Okay. You know, after working with you for so many years now, Charlie, I I get to kind of, by intuition, know that you're dying to fill your coffee cup. And I I think that might be the case. So why don't I give you a little break here, let you run to the kitchen, get that cup filled up. Meanwhile, uh, a word to Wilma in Stratford and uh, a a first-time caller, Brian from Dundas. Hang tight. We'll be coming back to you very shortly. This is The Garden Show on Zuma Radio
0: change stations just because the weather changes garden tips and advice all year round this is the garden show with charlie dobbin exclusively
1: on zoomer radio well charlie we're gonna hop along to holstein ontario there's wilma on the line good morning wilma
4: good morning Morning. Yes, I thought I was going to move to Stratford, but (laughs) (laughs) But I'm staying in Holstein. I have an issue with a back section of our lawn. We had steps off the patio that were uh, built out of um, railroad ties
2: Mm -hmm. and,
4: of course, the creosote. Uh, a couple of years ago, my husband decided we don't use those steps really anyway, so he took them out, and now we are trying to get mm. lawn established. Is there an issue with that ground because of the creosote ties? Are you
2: ha- are you having trouble growing grass there?
4: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, I think it was... Uh, I'm not sure whether it was last spring or last fall that he put the grass seed in and uh, it's it's not and he has topped it up again this year uh just because it wasn't doing what he wanted it to do so we are in a wait mode again now but I wondered if there was a, going to be a real issue with the soil well t-
2: did you have any idea when those stairs would have gone in, been installed? Oh,
4: it's it, it's at least 20 years because oh, we have goodness. been here now almost 17. Oh, and okay. I'm assuming it was in, well, I know it was in before we came here. Right. So uh, it's been there a while.
2: Right. I was going to say that the creosote, uh, um, like timbers, they, they they, they were they were literally old railroad ties, is what well. yeah. this all yeah, started. I'm sure they were. Yeah, and then and then of course creosote kind of went out. The it stopped being used, particularly by homeowners. So I'm just trying to take a look here because basically what you want is you want to neutralize the creosote, um, and of course water is the first thing that comes to mind. Um, let's see what it's just neutralizing. Creosote bowl full of distilled white vinegar. Center of the room, no, that's smell, leave the bowl. Creosote uh, hmm. smell, stages removed. Yeah, see I mean, this is just a quick search here on the web. It's all about, you know, Creosote getting onto some furniture or something. Um, I would, hmm. I mean, best case you would actually excavate some of the soil away and put it somewhere else. Out, out on the property, because, uh, you know, it's, it's the concentration of the creosote. Creosote in very, very tiny quantities would not be a big issue, um, and it is just making it, it – it was used because it was an antifungal um, chemical to keep the, lo- the wood from rotting or from being infested with the insects.
4: Uh-huh. So, it,
2: of course, it also, because of those properties, make, made it hard for plants to grow as well, weeds, etc. So, what can you do? I, excavation would be the best. <clears throat> Water would be a backup. And uh, number three would be probably what your husband has done, which is to add more soil, fresh soil, mix it up as much as you can. Use a starter fertilizer with the seeds. Like, do everything in your power to really tender, loving care those grass seeds. Um, Causal them much more than you would normally, uh, because grass is pretty tough. And you might want to really look for some tougher grass seeds. Like, some of the fescues are much tougher grasses than, say, the Kentucky bluegrass seeds. So look for maybe um, a blend that's really, uh, like I say, tougher than the average, and uh, it might be more able to thrive in that somewhat of a poison to soil, but it, it will neutralize over time. It's just going to take time.
4: Hmm. Okay. Yeah. okay. Well, uh, in the meantime, I guess we just hope and wait. Yeah, and
2: like I said, do, do hover a bit over those seeds. Do whatever you can to get them growing, and once they get growing, they'll be fine.
4: Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Thank hi you to very everybody. Much. Hi to everybody Thanks.
1: there in Holstein, Ontario. Yeah. Thank
4: you. <laughs>
1: All righty. Thank you. Uh, I have really a neat note from Heather Sinopoli, whom you'll recognize mm-hmm. that name, from the Riverdale Hort Society, right? mm mm-hmm. uh, First she has a comment and then a little bit of a question, but the comment, she says, uh, we've had Paul Oliver come to educate us about birding several times at the Riverdale Hort Society. Always right. informative and entertaining. And I'd like to add one thing about bird Calls. I recently read a book set in Australia on my tablet. A bird was mentioned that I'd never heard of, and by highlighting the name, I was able to see a photo of the whip bird, and then by clicking on the picture, I heard the this bird's distinctive call. Who knew you could do that? I live in Toronto and download most of my books from the Toronto Public Library. Great service, especially during the pandemic. Well, yeah, so thanks for that, info, Heather. are going to have to check that up, too. Uh, but yeah. Heather writes, my question... Please share some ideas for record-keeping in the garden for the lazy and forgetful gardener, <laughs> I, i.e. what's where, how old is it, what, what's the proper name, any special needs. And maybe our listeners might be able to help out along with any advice you have to offer, Charlie.
2: Well, that's right. I and mean, I think this is a really good sort of question to put out to our listeners. Is what do you do to keep records in your garden? Um, I know journals are, are very popular, garden journals, and you'll remember in December every year, uh, we talk about the Toronto Garden Source, uh, Gardener's Journal that's put out by, now it's put out by the Battersby sisters with the help of Margaret Bennett Alder. The gar- It's called the Toronto and Golden Horseshoe Gardener's Journal. So that's a, a physical book that's designed for filling in the blanks, and that's, it can be helpful if that's the way you like to keep track of things. Uh, I use my phone quite a bit now because the cool thing about your phone is you take pictures and you don't have to write down the dates or anything because it, the date is automatically kept. And then you can name the picture. You can give the actual name of the plant while you're right away thinking about it, while you're taking that picture. I also save tags, you know, those original tags that come with plants. I'll mount them, again, into a binder, into a book. I've been known to make lists on my computer, you know, front yard inventory, backyard inventory. Uh, but of course, when we move plants around, then you have to maintain your inventory, or something dies, or you add something. So it's always a bit onerous keeping the inventory up to date. But uh, but it's a really good question, Heather. And there's no, there is no question. We we are forgetful. You know, the older we get, the more forgetful we are. So any uh, any ideas that anybody else has to share what they do to stay on top of uh, what's where in their garden and what it's called, give us a call. We'd be certainly happy to, to hear about uh, anybody else's suggestions. So thanks a lot, Heather.
1: Yep, good stuff. Um, Brian uh, from Dundas is on the line. He's a first-time caller. I'm real anxious to get to the bell to give him a ring here. Uh, <laughs> but we have to take a break right, right at this moment on The Garden Show. So Charlie Dobbin will be offering up advice to Brian momentarily here on Zoomer Radio. This is Zuma Radio Toronto
0: CFZM-FM and CFZM-AM Owned and operated by MZ Media Incorporated Fur and feathers and bugs of all size There's more going on in the garden than you realize Should small creatures become a big problem Then you've got the garden show with Charlie Dobbin Exclusively on Zuma
1: Radio And Charlie Franklin, David Proctor Reaching for the old bell Here we go First-time caller Brian on the line from Dundas. Good morning, Brian.
5: Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Charlie. Thanks for the bell. (laughs) Exactly. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. My question, Charlie, is is about grubs. Uh Uh-huh. I have a very healthy lawn, like most of us do uh, this time of year with the rain and the sun and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the past couple of years, I've had grubs in my mm-hmm. front yard, which eventually turn into beetles, which eventually fly into my backyard and eat the flowers. <laughs> I bought some, uh, some uh, grub be gone last year, late in the season. Mm-hmm. And I read the package, and it says that I should apply it when I see evidence that grubs are there, which means that they've started to eat my lawn. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering if there's a preemptive measure I could take or if there's a way I could use this product before I see them eat my lawn. So I, I don't have to I <laughs> I don't have to see the brown patches.
2: Yeah. So the trick with um, can just grub be gone is a new idea. I'm just wondering what's in it. Grub killer. Controls. I'm not sure what its active ingredient is. Biological. It's, it's biological insecticide. So, this have got nematodes in it. <clears throat> okay, so the way grubs work, they're, they're really very ugly when they're in a grub stage. They're, they're white, they have a little brown head, they always lie so that they're, they're shaped like the letter C, and they are very hungry. Um, they chew roots that found below the ground, they'll chew roots of grass, roots of plants in the garden, they'll happily chew anything that they, they're close to, and then they get bigger and bigger and bigger until they eventually pupate, so they become a little cocoon, and then you're absolutely right, they emerge out of the ground as full-grown beetles, and then they fly, typically up into the trees, and start chewing on the trees, have some wild parties, and then lay a bunch of eggs, and the whole process starts again. At this time of year, you won't see any adult beetles. You will start seeing the adults usually around June. It might be May, late May, June, July. And those are the things like the June beetles and the Japanese beetles, European chafers. They're all very hungry beetles that can do a lot of damage when they're flying around. The grubs for all of them are found under the ground. And you won't be able to kill them at this time of year. Because if there's any grubs in your soil right now, in your lawn, they're grubs that hatched out last summer. And they spent the winter down deep below the, the frost line. They're, they're pretty clever. They know when winter's coming and they, they go down below ground, spend the winter down down literally several feet below surface. Once it starts to warm up, they move their way back up closer to the surface and start eating again. And by this time, they're fairly big and their skin is quite tough. With all that up and down through the soil movement, there's no insecticide that's going to kill a grub at this time. So don't waste your money or your insecticides now. I think the main thing you want to do is you just want to do everything in your power. Like you said, your lawn looks great. So maintain your lawn as a great lawn um, and watch it. You'll start to see grub damage usually when after the adults have emerged, the eggs have laid, and then the eggs have hatched. That's... And that, by that time, it's August, that's when we start to usually see grub damage. And that's when you want to jump on doing whatever you, you, know, whatever you have in your, in your garage to control them. So this grub be gone uh, certainly is probably worth trying. I've never used it myself, but I have certainly used the nematodes. And <clears throat> Frank's familiar with the yes. <laughs> nematode application in, uh, in August when we start to see little yellow patches that, get bigger and bigger over days. It's, it looks like a little, like a dog peed and then, you know, loony size, and then before you know it, that yellow patch is expanding. And so you know you've got grubs when you see that. Mm-hmm. So um, there's, I don't, I'm not an of being preemptive and just putting insecticides down on, on principle. I'm much more uh, in favor of keeping, um, being very observant, visiting your garden, watching your lawn, and then responding when you start to see an issue.
5: And you think that would probably be in the in around August? It is usually yes. Yeah, okay. That that answers my question. So I I was wondering if I should do anything now. Obviously the answer is no. So I wait until later into the summer and uh, be very observant. Exactly. Stay on
2: top of it. And yeah, I mean some people might find raccoons or skunks peeling their lawn up right now. Yes. uh, and and that happens. And they know they've got grubs when that when that happens. Now, is, could you use this grub killer now? I'm not sure. I'd have to do a little more reading about it. But like I said, they're, they're pretty tough insects right now. They're pretty hard to kill. And I just let the animals, the starlings, do a great job not only aerating your lawn, but eating the grubs at this time of year. <laughs> okay, there we Good go. Good luck with that. Thanks, yeah. Brian.
1: Thank you, Brian. And I don't know whether we have time enough to uh, get one more call in here, depending how length of the question, and the answer would be, but Gail is on the line from Kawartha Lake, so let's see if we can fit this in. Otherwise, we'll get her to call next week. Hi, Gail.
4: Hi, Charlie and Frank. Uh, quick question. I have geranium cuttings growing in little, um, those little red beer cups, and they have all kinds of blossoms. Should I allow those blossoms to stay, or should I be removing them?
2: Do you have roots on those geranium cuttings yet? Yes. Oh, that's cool. You know what? I would just pot them up. get get them into some soil, or you want to leave them in water before you take them outside?
4: Set them till May
2: 24th. Right. So the rule book says you should always take the flowers off when doing any transplanting of flowering plants, but then your heart says, why would I take flowers off? They're gorgeous, and obviously they're healthy, and they've got roots. I would personally leave them. Excellent.
1: Thank you very much. Okay. Well, enjoy, your, enjoy yourself up there in the Kawartha Lakes, beautiful area yeah. of the
2: province. Yeah. Lucky, lucky to live there. Coddy's hey, Frank, country, did huh? I tell you, we have a very special guest coming next week. You're yeah, what's joining going on? Us. Yeah. Our fearless leader, Moses Neimer, is going to be with us next week, telling us about his pet project.
1: This is absolutely fascinating. Do you want to just kind of... Uh, Explain just a wee tad about what he's going to talking about.
2: Well, so so well, Moses will tell us for sure next week when when he gets on in the air. But Moses somehow stumbled over a gentleman named Sam Van Aken, he, which he's kind of he's kind of an artist and a horticulturalist. He works at a Syracuse, and he's a very um, talented grafter. He's very good at grafting different pieces of plants onto other plants. So for him, it all kind of started as a surprise to create a tree. It has 40 different grafts on it, so 40 different fruits, because it's all about fruit trees. And they're stone fruits, so it's plums and apricots and cherries and peaches and that sort of thing. So Moses just fell in love with this idea, and he got Sam to uh, come to Toronto from Syracuse back three years ago, and they started the process of creating a tree of 40 fruit in High Park, uh, which is, frankly, in Moses' backyard. And he you know
1: what? Of... We're going to have to hold that story for the conclusion next uh, right. week, okay? <laughs> when right. Moses we'll... will be on the line with us here on The Garden Show. Charlie, thank boy, just so much information. And uh, I unfortunately, we have to
2: scoot. We do, we do. I guess the car show is coming on any well, second betcha. now. So stay with us. Come back next week for more about, about Trees of 40 Fruit. And thank you, everybody. Great calls. Thanks, Carlos. Frank. See you again next week.